today on Ag News Daily. Our soil health has been improving like crazy, and we've been just baffled at the rate at which we can improve our soil health. Um, because a lot of the literature says that it takes like 10 years to improve soil health. And if you're doing things um, correctly. Good afternoon and welcome to the Friday episode of Ag News Daily. It's Ashton Carr joined by Delaney Howell, who is driving right now, Delaney. Well, I'm not driving. I'm a passenger, Ashton. But yes, I am on the road today. Just left here about 30 minutes ago to head up to Minneapolis, Minnesota tonight for a Twins versus Royals baseball game. And then I will be heading to Duluth, Minnesota tomorrow. So enjoying my nice three-day holiday Memorial Day weekend. And I tell you what, the roads are busy today. I certainly bet they are. I bet folks are ready to get out. I mean, this is like the first real weekend of summer for a lot of people. I'm sure people are wanting to get out and get moving. I mean, folks are traveling a lot more right now, so that's really nice. But unfortunately, I'm going to be one of the folks that is staying home this Memorial Day weekend. I finally get to move out of my apartment. I know we've been talking about it a lot, but I don't think people realize how ready I am to get this over with. Yeah, traveling or traveling, moving. Traveling's fun. Moving is not fun. It certainly is not. My dad is coming up here and he was talking to me yesterday. He's bringing one of our trailers up here, but he he told me we're going to have to rent a U-Haul because he is only bringing the trailer up here so he can haul pigs. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, that'll be fun. Maybe not pigs and your stuff at the same time. Yeah, no. I wouldn't like them to to be in the same place. I think my apartment would really, really stink. But, oh, well, I'm going to have to just deal with the U-Haul, which is fine. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, And while you're not traveling this weekend, we are expected to see, like you said there, travel to pick up this weekend. Since it is kind of one of the first times, first holidays, that we're starting to see things fully reopened here. And for those of you taking any flights this weekend. The TSA said that they are ready for a resurgence of travel, but to expect lines at the airport. However, we are continuing to see oil prices uh, continue to push upwards, so we may see the price of gasoline expensive as folks are getting out there and getting back on the roads, but overall, I think folks are just ready to get back out there and get traveling, but not, not going to be pleasant weather necessarily either when you look across the country. This weekend, cooler temperatures for much of the northern plains into the Midwest. Ashton, are you guys expected to see any cooler temperatures this weekend? We are, actually. Today, I think the high is 73. And then for the next four or five days, we have um, about a 50% chance or less um, for rain until Wednesday, I think. So, of course, it's going to be accompanied by some cooler temperatures. I don't even think that we reach the 80s within the next week or so. And that is definitely not ideal for crops that are trying to germinate right now. But I am going to pick it up here. Talking, I guess, kind of weather related. But earlier today, uh, not yesterday, late afternoon, Brazil has officially declared a state of emergency due to lack of rainfall and available water across five key states. Those include, I'm not going to pronounce all of these correctly, uh, Minas Gerais, Mato Grosso de Sul, Sao Paulo, and Paraná, as well as Guayas. Mm, my Portuguese is lacking a little, but those uh, that I mentioned there 
are very key growing regions, Ashton, for the Safrina second corn crop. And so now we have seen in this area the lowest amount of rainfall or pour a period since 1931. So it's been the first time in 111 years that Brazil has had to declare a state of emergency due to lack of water available. But now we get into, as you know, this is a key growing time for the Brazilian Safrina corn crop. You couple that with this announcement today, and cities and municipalities are also struggling to have available water. And a lot of these cities' reservoirs across those key five states are pleaded pretty rapidly. So we could see farmers here to compete for available water down there in that growing region, which will continue to put pressure on that safrina corn crop. So it could be some more excitement in the markets to come. You know, Delaney, I was going to talk about this as well today, and I just want to add that it's also kind of hurting the coffee harvest or the, the coffee crop, I should say, in Brazil Coffee futures touched a fresh four and a half year high today with traders worried that critical soil moisture in that main growing state in Brazil as it could affect the 2022 coffee crop as well. So kind of a lot to keep our eyes out on. I kind of do, of course, feel bad, although they are a competitor, of course, of our U.S. farmers. I feel bad that, you know, they're going through such an extreme drought, and I hope that we don't see anything like that here in the U.S., but weather definitely had an effect on cherries this year. I don't know if you're super big on on cherries, Delaney. Personally, I'm not, unless it's in, like, a cherry cobbler. I think I could definitely get down with some cherry cobbler, but president of the Cherry Marketing Institute, Julie Gordon, said that swings between unusually warm weather over back to cold and then back to hot have left a lot of unknown for this year's production. I am honestly also not a fan of the back and forth weather, definitely affects my allergies, but she also says that pollination is also in question other than weather. She said, we got a jump start at the season in March, and it slowed down with pollination these last few weeks. These bees just haven't been coming out like they normally would. She also said, at this point, harvest in the nation's top state for cherries, which is Michigan, or for tart cherries, I should say, is on track for the end of July with Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and the Pacific Northwest expecting a normal-sized crop. Just this past year, production in Michigan was down 60%, and if we do see you know, a a decreased harvest this year. Don't really know what that's going to say for a lot of our cherry producers. Yeah, absolutely. And I anticipate that folks will probably be having some cherry pies or fruit pies here, not only Memorial Day weekend, but definitely 4th of July weekend as well. That always a fruit pie like that or a strawberry pie and cherry pie. This is like a good holiday, hot holiday dish. So glad you brought that to our attention, Ashton. I'm going to take things back here international for a moment. Yesterday, I reported on the podcast about USDA's latest analysis that shows exports and Chinese purchases should continue to be strong here throughout this 2020-2021 marketing year, I mean, in September. But can China actually meet its phase one trade deal pledge? AgriPulse had a great little write-up today. And that's, well, I should say they summarized an analysis done by the American Farm Bureau Federation, as reported by Agriculture, that so far this year, China's U.S. ag exports 
remained 22% behind the pace needed to make good on their commitments under the Phase 1 trade agreement. But China is making up some of that legwork. April was the first month where China actually exceeded the amount of import pace needed to comply with the deal where they imported about $2.2 billion worth of U.S. ag goods in April. So it sounds like they're picking up pace here, but not necessarily on pace to meet those phase one trade deal pledges. I think maybe, Ashton, as you mentioned yesterday or a couple days on the global podcast, we still haven't really seen the Biden administration put forth any sort of language or proposal or really anything as far as what they intend to do here under this new administration as far as holding China accountable or their plan uh, with dealing with China here moving forward. So we'll keep an eye on that. But uh, that's kind of that Chinese situation in a nutshell. Well, Delaney, one thing we've also been keeping an eye out on, of course, globally is Argentine ranchers because they've been on that strike for a few days now, and they have just announced that they are going to extend their halt on the sale of cattle until Wednesday now as a protest against the government's decision to suspend exports. And just kind of as a refresher, the sales strike started eight days ago after the country announced a 30-day ban on beef exports amid high food inflation. A statement issued by one of the farm chambers that's a part of this said that the policy path chosen by the government will not achieve the stated goal of lowering domestic meat prices. So there seems to be a pretty good disconnect, I would say, between these farm chambers and the government. Of course, they are going to do this strike now until Wednesday. I think we could even see this possibly go further. I don't think we've seen any statements come out from the Argentine government itself. I would like to see, you know, what's kind of going on behind closed doors and be a fly on the wall. But unfortunately, we don't get that privilege. No, absolutely. And, you know, I, I don't know if we made this clear, but there have been, you know, two strikes really going on down in Argentina. And this is obviously the bigger one that's lasting a little bit longer. But the one that just ended earlier this week on Wednesday was the Argentinian port workers strike. So it sounds like there is a lot of political unrest going on down there right now in Argentina. Certainly sounds that way, Delaney. I'm glad that you cleared that up because I didn't even kind of think that it could get a little bit confusing. So thank you for making yeah, that clear. I, I, I put that together this morning when I was reading that same story, I'm guessing that you're reading, Ash, and I was like, oh yeah, there's actually, there were two strikes kind of going on simultaneously, but yes. Well, Delaney, I am all out of news for today, ready to get into the weekend and get into the markets if you are as well. I absolutely am, Ashton, because today heading into the three-day weekend here, of course, markets are closed on Monday. We're closed, if that's what you want to call it, as well. And so we start trading June futures. We're getting to a new contract month here come Tuesday. But ahead of that uh, contract expiration, we did see the funds start to square up positions today. Saw a little weakness across the green markets, but Nothing too major. Kicking things off here in the July corn contract down seven and three quarters cents to gold at six fifty-six and three quarters. The D's down nine and a half to gold at five forty-five and a half. In the soybean pits today, the July contract down six and a half cents, sixteen thirty and a half. In November down five and a half cents to gold at thirteen seventy-two and three quarters. 
Chicago wheat lower today as well with the July contract down 12 and three quarters cents to close at 6.63 and a half. The beef down 11 and a half to close at 6.74 and three quarters. Hopping over to the livestock pits today, we saw mostly weakness across the cattle complex. Light hogs, however, continue to surge higher. June live cattle today, 47 and a half cents lower to close at 115.87 and a half. The August down 82 and a half cents to close at 118.60. Feeder cattle lower today as the August contract shed a dollar fifty to close at 151.35. The September down a dollar thirty to close at 153.52 and a half. And as I mentioned, lean hogs continue their upward surge here. We've now seen prices, haven't seen these prices since I believe about 2014. And so we continue to see straight here in the lean hogs as well. How much longer will we see this? So is the big question. So we'll have to take a pause on markets next week and follow up with that in the week of the world pork expo. But kicking things up here with the June contract up a dollar fifty two and a half to close at one seventeen twenty-five. The July up two dollars sixty-five cents to close at one nineteen thirty-five. And lastly, wrapping things up here with the class three dairy milk futures. Weakness today is the June contract shed thirty-nine cents to close at seventeen twenty-six. The July down thirty cents to close at eighteen oh four. Ashton, without further ado, this is a voice that should be very familiar to our listeners if they've been with us for quite some time. We are chatting today with AgRad 30 Under 30, Mitchell Fora. Well, today we have on Mitchell Hora, who is the CEO and founder of Continuum Ag. Mitchell, we've had you on the podcast before. I believe it was for a Tech Tuesday, if I'm remembering correctly, but it's been some time. So thanks again for coming on and joining us today to talk about what's been going on since the last time we chatted. Oh, yeah. Always good to be back on the podcast, sharing all things new in the world of soil health. Well, Mitchell, for those who might not be familiar with your background or with Continuum Ag, why don't we just get a 10,000-foot view of your background and, of course, Continuum Ag? Yeah, so I'm a seventh-generation farmer on my family's farm near Washington, Iowa. Uh, Row crop farm, and and we've been doing a lot of the no-till and cover crop stuff here now for, for quite a long time. Started Continuum Ag in 2015. We're a soil health data company. And we launched the first soil health data platform. It's an online system called Topsoil, and it helps farmers to be able to monetize their soil health and be able to understand regenerative management, gather data about their soil health, manage their fertility according to that data and and factoring in biology, um, do things like adopt cover crop management. Um, But now also we're finding ourselves helping our farmers navigate carbon markets and other sustainability initiatives. So it's been an interesting uh, shift here over the last couple months for us. Well, Mitchell, it sounds like you've had quite a bit on your plate because other than Continuum Ag, you're also one of the co-hosts on Field Work and you guys just launched your third season. So how's that been going for y'all? Yeah, the Fieldwork podcast is all about sustainable ag. Definitely encourage everyone to check it out. It's been amazing. Yeah, season three is well underway. We've actually been focused a lot on Iowa and on Washington County and and on scaling regenerative management and scaling soil health and and adopting cover crops and such. A lot of political kind of tie-ins as well as as politics are are directly, of course, impacting all we do in agriculture all the time. But especially with carbon, it's been interesting. Interesting to watch. So, yeah, been really great, and that's put on um, you know 
thanks to the folks at American Public Media and my my co-host, the Millennial Farmer. Um, that podcast has been a lot of fun. It's it's been interesting to see how it's really taken off. And Mitchell, y'all have been spending a lot of time in Washington County, Iowa, because that's kind of where you're from. And maybe, hopefully I'm getting this correctly, but this idea of regenerative agriculture and carbon credits really has kind of taken form. Is that correct? Yeah, it's still definitely in the Wild West, for sure. Um, There's lots happening in the carbon credit kind of space. We've been um, way more involved in it than what I ever anticipated, Um, so, you know, trying to maintain, uh, being highly educated in it for sure. But, but Washington County, you know, we were really focused on building a culture of conservation, um, you know, and and focused on learning through the podcast on how do you do that? How do you encourage, um, more adoption of things like no-till and cover crops, but in a system where, it's a whole neighborhood doing it. It's a whole county that's really focused on it. Um, not a whole county, of course. You're not going to have total adoption, but but being able to get a wide array of farmers interested in doing something like adding cover crops in a certain geography. Washington County has something like triple the cover crop acreage of any other county in Iowa. So really, really interesting place to see such a heightened adoption um, but people have to check out the podcast if they want to hear all the answers uh, to what we found out um, in doing some of the research. Well, Mitchell, apart from the Fieldwork podcast and apart from what you're doing with Continuum Ag, you have also been planting because you're a farmer yourself. I mean, I would kind of expect that since you're doing all this stuff talking about carbon credits and soil. So what has planting been like? I mean, you just wrapped up. So what did uh, you experience this 2021 planting season? Yeah. So on our farm, planting actually went pretty smoothly. Um, We got everything planted in record time. We finished the earliest we've ever finished, which was May 1st. Um, Now we're only farming about 700 acres. So you know, relatively small for the area that we're in. Um, So we don't have a lot of acres to get across, but fairly smooth sailing besides just, you know, some minor issues. Um, But everything on our farm gets planted green. So we're planting corn into green living cover crop and terminating that a couple of days later. That corn looks amazing now. We could really use some heat Uh, over the last couple of weeks. We've been pretty dang wet. Um, here in our area of Southeast Iowa. So we're ready for some sunshine. We're ready for some heat. Um, And then our soybeans right now are all about five, six inches tall. And the cover crop, we have just been terminating the cover crop here this week um, that we let that cover crop grow to full maturity where it's starting to drop pollen and and, uh, actually start to pollinate some of that cereal rye seed. Now we're going in there hitting it with a shot of herbicide. It's a one pass program. That's it. Uh, but we're actually going to leave a lot of the cover crop alive and growing, use zero herbicides and harvest the rye as a relay crop. And we'll keep that rye for more cover crop seed for us this fall, harvest that rye over the top of the growing soybeans in July, then come back in September or October and harvest the soybeans. So a really cool relay cropping system that we've had really good luck with for the last couple of years. And, and uh, now this year we're scaling that practice from 10 acres that we've done in the past couple of years to now we're looking at 90 acres of relay cropping. Uh, so it's, uh, we didn't anticipate that, but it's been kind of a fun thing. And, and you never know what mother nature is going to throw at you. And when it's wet or when it's too dry, 
you got to roll with the punches and we're definitely doing that on the farm here this year, but things are going well overall. That's really great to hear, Mitchell. I think we've kind of had a a mixed bag when it comes to the experiences that farmers across the country, you know, not just in your neck of the woods, have been experiencing this planting season. So it's good to hear that things went well for you guys out there. But since you have so much knowledge about soil health and firsthand experience, why don't you tell us a little bit about the soil health in your area and kind of what you saw as you were putting seeds into the ground? Yeah, our soil health has been improving like crazy. And we've been just baffled at the rate at which we can improve our soil health um, because a lot of the literature says that it takes like 10 years to improve soil health. And if you're doing things um, correctly, if you're working with Mother Nature, not against her, and if you're really listening to your soils and paying attention to the right data, you can improve soil health incredibly quickly. Uh, to put some numbers on it, we've improved our organic matter by 1.4% in the last 10 years. We've tripled our biological activity and our water extractable carbon over the last four years. We've improved our water infiltration rates to being able to infiltrate four inches of rainfall in less than five minutes. Um, Our aggregate stability has drastically improved. We've decreased our need for synthetic fertilizer by 40%. We've decreased our need for pesticides by 50% on corn and 75% on soybeans and still maintaining record yields. Um, Working with soil health for us means just driving profitability to the bottom line and really excited, you know, to continue to expand out Continuum Ag to bring that knowledge and data and tools to really bring freedom to farmers so that they can better understand soil health data and they can ensure profitability and resiliency for their own family farms. Well, Mitchell, this has really been great getting to catch up with you and you've been up to a lot, but what can we expect here in the future? You've got some traveling plans and an event upcoming as well. So what can we expect in the next couple of weeks for you? Yeah, the biggest thing to leave everyone with is our field day. Um, We have a field day coming up on June 7th, and it's all about soil health, of course, soil health, carbon, regenerative management, cover crops. Um, And it'll be in person in Washington at the fairgrounds, but also online so people can attend virtually as well. Information's at continuum.ag slash events. Totally free to get registered, uh, featuring people like farmer Rick Clark, the developer of the Haney Soil Health Test, Dr. Rick Haney, Secretary Mike Nag will be here. Uh, we're tying in um, one of the directors within the USDA is going to join me virtually. Uh, the Minnesota Millennial Farmer will be down, field work. We're going to record a podcast live at the event. Um, and huge shout out to Rabobank for helping to sponsor and, and all of our, the rest of our sponsors throughout the whole event. It's going to be an amazing day. And we're hoping for a crowd of upwards of 500 people. So come and hang out uh, with some really awesome farmers and other folks throughout the ag industry. Awesome. Well, Mitchell, it sounds like you have got your hands full there, but I think it's pretty clear that you deserved a spot on that ag grad 30 under 30 list. So congratulations for everything that you've accomplished within the last few months or so since we last talked to you. Yeah, it's been wild. Luckily, I've got um, we've hired a bunch of new people here recently. And so I've got a lot of help to keep everything going and uh, keep the ball rolling for us. So super grateful for that. Well, awesome, Mitchell. Thank you again just once more for coming on and talking to us today. 
Really appreciate it. Always awesome to be on. Thanks again there to Mitchell for joining and talking to us today. Of course, we're super proud of the work that he's done, but we're super excited for the work that he's going to do and for their field day that's coming up. Delaney, you might have to go down there and experience that firsthand if you're able. I was just thinking the same, Ashton. Well, folks, you can tune in next week after the Memorial Day holiday. We won't be having an episode on Monday, of course. So you can catch us on Tuesday for one of our Tech Tuesday episodes on agnewsdaily.com. And follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at agnewsdaily. And with that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.